everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horback. Before we get started on this week's episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandace.com and click that little link that says Patreon or Buy Me Coffee. Both things help me to continue podcasting, increase the quality of the production, and hopefully start getting some guests on. This week, I'm really excited. I got to connect with comedian Chrissy Mayer. We met on Twitter. She had me on her awesome podcast, and I had such a good time. I wanted to invite her on. She's doing some really incredible stuff, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good to see you. Yes, you too. Oh my gosh. I just got my hair re-dyed yesterday. You can't really tell. It looks the same. I guess that's... (laughs) It's also dim lighting. Yeah. Yeah. I also like, I've been playing with like how purple and how many colors to have going. It's tricky. It's a tricky. I process. like the purple. It's thank a vibe. You, thank you. <laughs> Are you in LA? No, I'm in oh, New so York. So- I'm okay, in, so- uh, how did you get your hair dyed? I'm in Westchester. Oh, I just go and I wear a mask, even though it's annoying. And uh, I'm just, cause I was behind. Like the last time I had my roots done was like beginning of August so I was like, wow. I really need to go. And I needed like a little bit of a trim. So I was like, you know what? I'm doing on camera things. Let me just like suck it up and go. I know. I've been doing the same thing. I don't know how long it takes for your hair. But for me, it's like, I kid you not, almost a five hour process. So wow. do you do an ombre? I just like hand painted highlights. Ooh. Yeah. So it's, it just takes a really long time. And then I have a lot of grays that need management too. So you can't even tell. Wow. I know. So I just like, I try to avoid it because wearing a mask for that long. And then it just gets so hot under all of the aluminum, like pounds of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the place where I went, that's why I was happy to go because it was not a huge chain. You know, it's like a smaller chain and I was like all right let me just go and they were like low-key about it like I had it you know like off Mm -hmm. my nose and nobody's giving me a hard time because there was also like one other lady in there getting her hair done so I think they were happy too and I like tipped them more than usual because I was just like uh they're struggling so hard times yeah yeah Mm -hmm. New York's crazy I've been seeing a lot of the dining stuff right now with feet of snow and people in like parkas. Oh my God. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. The pictures from that one place, the Smith, they're like, why are they here? Why are people at? I'm like, first of all, I remember the Smith. That's where I would go looking for Dick when I was single. That was like <laughs> one of my spots where I would go because there would always be men with good jobs that would hang out there. And I was like, oh, those <laughs> girls, those girls know what's up. They're not sitting in the snow for nothing. Like, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to get somebody locked down maybe uh, before the holidays. So, oh man, that's funny. <laughs> so like you have, it. you have like, um, two podcasts, right? Or are they kind of like the same thing? So I saw, yes. yeah. Tell me about those. So there's the wet spot, which is on compound media, which is a subscriber based network started by Anthony Cumia, who many people recognize from Opie and Anthony. They were kind of like big on Sirius XM, like in the late nineties, early aughts. And then when they split, Anthony Cumia started his own network compound media and that's like five or six years old so I've I've had that show about a year and a half now and then my other podcast which is the Chrissy Mayer podcast is on you know iTunes YouTube Spotify SoundCloud I started it in January just doing it like once a week whatever and then in May I was like let me crank it up let me do four episodes a week and see if I can keep it up and I've been able to keep it up which is great and I've 
I'm so grateful. Like that's my one, like, you know, I'm grateful for the lockdown because of this. It's, it's been enabled me to like really push myself on this podcast more and like the guests I've been able to get. I mean, if you had asked me last year that I would be interviewing Roger Stone over Zoom, I'd be like, what the fuck are you? Why, why would he talk to me? So it's cool. And I've interviewed some other like more like, ooh, problematic types like Gavin McGinnis, who mostly just gave me shit for not being married. <laughs> and, um, but a lot of people like hate him. And I always enjoy talking to the people that other groups or other people have shut down on or censored or like, like, oh, let's talk to these people. What's all so bad about them? And what I love about my own podcast, because it's like wet spot is like fluffy. It's like we do sex dating relationship topics. We answer questions from fans. You know, before the lockdown, we had fun in studio segments like we would have dominatrix in and they'd bring their slaves. And one time we wrapped a guy up in saran wrap and stepped on his balls. And I was like, I can't step on his balls like they're balls. And she was like, go for it. Why not? I was like, I can't. Oh, I I couldn't do that. Yeah. I was like, they're the poor things. So we've had, and we will have like fans sit in the studio because they're like these little bleachers set up. So we have really fun, like engagement with fans and with other types of sex experts or therapists will come in. And I also, it's interesting because I interviewed Dr. Drew on my regular podcast, but you know, I'm going to have him on wet spot at some time. So sometimes there is a crossover and there's people who've been able to do both. Like, let's see, Nicole Aniston is someone who's done both. I think I've had Corey Chase on both. Jaden Cole. I think I've had Randy James. So it's obviously like a crossover that makes sense. And I've really enjoyed it, you know, because the wet spot is like fluffier and like it's like the fun side of my personality. And we try to make it like the best of Howard Stern, but like if a lady, (laughs) if a sassy lady was running it, you know, like we'll, we'll talk about like important topics like penises, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a strong male audience. So Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to gross anybody out, but we have fun. And then my podcast, it's like, okay, it's an hour long conversation with somebody that I want to get to know who I find interesting. It doesn't matter where they are on the political spectrum. It doesn't matter what they do for a living. If they're just like an interesting person that I want to get to know, it's just an hour plus and I'll get them to, you know, if I can get them to be vulnerable and open up about something that maybe they haven't talked about on other interviews. Great. If not just like having fun and, and like getting to know each other and maybe I can get like a nugget out of them Mm -hmm. that they haven't talked about anywhere else. Man, you're a busy lady. I don't know how you have time for that. I'm only doing two a week and I'm I feel like there's like a thousand balls in the air. It's a lot. Yeah. So I love that you mentioned vulnerability. So I feel like I'm still new to my podcast too and trying to navigate like who to have on and making sure that I guess like the overall mission of the podcast remains intact, right? So not just having people to have on. And then some people have such like a curious, like a really interesting and powerful story that I just know personally, but they don't want to share too much of it because Mm. they have this following and they think that they're supposed to be a certain type of way and they don't want to lose half of the people or I guess like be vulnerable. How do you get your guests to open up? Like, have you had that issue with people? Oh, for sure. And I'll always ask them before we record, like, is there anything you definitely don't want to talk about? Which in that case, if they're like, hey, I don't want to bring up 
the fact that I was like uh, abused as a child, or I don't want you to say my real name, or I don't want you to like tell people that I'm married, stuff like that. Like, especially if like in the adult industry, like I get it. Cause those things do like, I guess like ruin the image that they're this like super available, like sassy gal or guy. <laughs> I will usually, for me, like doing a lot of preparation helps me. Like if I just learn as much as I can about the person and like trying to set up my questions, like I'll have questions ready, but I also really try to listen very hard. And if there's like a nugget of something, if it's like, oh, like it was hard. If you hear something like, oh, it was hard growing up or like my parents were really hard on me or like something that you didn't expect to hear, I always like hang on to that and return to it. And I would be like, oh, why do you think your parents were hard on you? Or I'll like maybe make an assumption and try to lead them into it. Like, oh, were they hard on you because they wanted you to be a doctor like them? And maybe mm-hmm. that gets them to, it depends. It's It's just about like, hearing a little something that's, that's like out of the ordinary and then hanging on to it and following up on it in a way that's like, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, you are trying to pry in a sense, you are trying to get in there and learn something. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, you know, a combination of knowing a little bit about them and like making a little bit of an assumption and trying to like, and leading them into it that way. If you're wrong, they can be like, oh no, they weren't hard on me. It's just that I was lazy and didn't have good study skills. And then they can lead you to the right direction. Or if you're right, then like, yes, they feel understood. They lean into it. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll use myself as an example. Mm -hmm. Like if I meet, if I talk to anybody who had a hard relationship with their parents or anybody who dealt with like not feeling accepted in what they're pursuing with their life or, you know, anybody who's, sibling, maybe rivalries growing up or any, you know, if there's anything that's a similarity with me, I'll try like making myself vulnerable first. And that way they don't feel like they're the only one who's sharing, especially if there is like a little bit of a common thread. That's why I love interviewing porn stars because I feel like porn stars and comedians have a similar like hardship in that. Like for some reason, everyone loves both groups. Like You'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't like, who hasn't watched porn and hasn't watched something funny in their life. And there's people who like really love porn or really love comedy or or both usually, but it's like people will weirdly judge it. They'll weirdly judge comics, weirdly judge porn stars. There's like a, you know, different black marks over you, depending on like what you want to go into. It's like people not taking you seriously, people assuming that you're just like, oh, you must have an OnlyFans. Oh, you must be an escort. Oh, you and then, you know, people like to make their assumptions. But that's why I like interviewing porn stars because I feel like we both deal with like this judgment factor in our work. I've noticed, especially when I was shooting a lot in LA, like there is this almost like symbiosis between comics and porn stars. They just love each other. They like to hang out. You know, there if you go to the comedy store, it's like filled with girls usually that are in the industry. I didn't notice that. I was there in March and I didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. They're the laugh factory a ton. Oh, Oh, yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. They just like, for some reason, they just bond and connect. And I think we obviously offer you a lot of material. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, for sure. There's mostly guys doing stand up. And like, I mean, for, you know, if a guy meets a girl who thinks they're funny, oh my God, they're on cloud nine. Like, that's why a lot of dudes get into stand up is to like, oh, this is my strength and I know it'll help me meet girls. Like, great. Let me like Mm. run towards it. 
Yeah. Right. So it's like this, obviously like pretty girl that's on a pedestal. So I guess that explains some of it. So is it hard being like a female comic, like Um, surrounded by dudes and it's just, it seems like a lot of testosterone being thrown around. Yes. And no, it's like, it's like so funny. Cause I always think about this question and I'm like, on one hand, it's like, well, I don't know what to compare it to, which is right. great. Like, I don't, I haven't like, I don't know what it would be like if I was a dude, I don't know what would have come easier or what would have been maybe more difficult. And I've talked to so many female comics who will like candidly say to you, like low key, I have had things handed to me because I'm a pretty girl or like low key. I got this gig. Cause this guy really liked me. And I was sort of letting him like me to get what I needed. And that's what we're all doing, right? We're all supposed to use all of our advantages to help us get it. Everyone does that in every industry. So it's like, you can't give somebody shit for that. Cause I'm sure that happens like in the medical industry or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's probably like a chiropractor who wants to fuck another chiropractor. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And so, yeah, on one, sometimes there are advantages to being female. Like, oh, if you're, if you're the funniest girl that some guy comic knows and they're booking a show, like, eh, and they're trying to be like loosely diverse, they'll probably just throw like one chick on there. And if you're the funniest girl they know, oftentimes it'll be you, which is great. And like, you know, in recent years, there was more of a push for diversity. Then there'll be like two or three token girls or like two or three token black guys or whatever, or a mix, but some producers aren't really thinking about that. They're just like, let me just book whoever I think is the funniest. And if you have happen to also fulfill like a diversity requirement, it, it does kind of help. But like, to me, I don't, I don't care about being booked because I'm a girl or because it fulfills it. I would like to be, just think of me because you think I'm among the best that you know, it's impossible, right? For, because it's like, you can't not be your inherent femaleness. Yeah, I think it's, it has been harder at times. And by the same token, you're like, there are some things where you're like, oh, well, like this person's only talking to me because they do want to have sex with me, not because they actually think I'm funny enough. Like, I, I think I felt that more earlier on. And then now I feel like I'm, I've been doing stand up for like 10 years. I'm pretty established. Like, I mean, it helps that I've been dating the same guy for like six years. So it's like, Believe me, when I was like a newer comic, like I was fucking everybody, not everybody. I was not, I was out there. I was getting to know people. I was like, ooh, cause like there are a lot of cute comic guys. And, and if they make you laugh, it's like a the same thing. On for sure. Yeah. It's the same thing that like a civilian girl would be into. And it's like, I always say like, it's so impossible. Like they'll tell girls like, oh, don't fuck another comic. Like, just don't do it. And it's like, what do you want? What do you expect us to do? It's like, it's like telling the women at the homeless shelter not to fuck other homeless dudes. It's like, yeah, ideally you wouldn't. You try, you try to do better, but look who the fuck is around you. You're in a homeless shelter. You're horny. You're going to you're going to fuck another homeless dude. And that's how comedy is. You're like, yeah, in a perfect world, I would have listened to my mom and found a doctor or found a lawyer, but like, this is who I'm with every night. So things happen. You have, it's all the the makings for fucking these people. You're out late at night. There's the drinks are flowing. A lot of times the drinks are free. And then what if you go on tour with somebody? It's like, what if you get an opportunity? There's travel involved. It's like, you know, you are showing your vulnerability kind of on stage and in the art form in general. So it's like, there's high potential for, for bonding and for like letting your guard down and for just like you're drunk and you're horny. So it's like for, for someone to judge you because you've like fucked around in your own industry, it's like, come on, you don't know what it's like until you're, 
you're in it. And I don't know if that's the same as porn. It's like, I don't know if you just feel like, you're like, yeah, you're sick of these dudes or in the beginning, maybe it's more exciting. Cause you're like, they're not, you're not over them all yet. But yeah, know. for me, it was, I was always like with somebody while I was in the industry. So it was always like work, but I understood why like so many people stuck to the industry because it's kind of like you guys understand each other more, right? It's like a you versus them. I didn't know comics got like judged a ton. Like I didn't know that there, you guys got shit. Cause like you make people laugh, you make people feel good. I guess part of it maybe is like the late nights and the drinking and some of the vulgar jokes, but like, who's not vulgar, right? It's it's funny yeah. like if it's in good fun so I guess what are like some of the biggest hurdles you've had to overcome in that regard it, it's so tricky because it really the judgment I think depends on the person and their life because it's like there that you could be judged from by your family right like because for me personally like after I was done with college while I was in college I thought I wanted to be a reporter so I, I interned at Dateline and then I interned at late night with Conan O'Brien when he was still in New York and like just being in that environment I was like oh my god this feels magical to me even though I was just getting coffee for the writers and there was a day that I like handled each one of Conan's meals and I was like I'm gonna make it I got you know like <laughs> I know what gum he likes and I you know the the writers were all like if you're into comedy like do improv do improv do improv so I did improv for five years lived at home each of these classes was like 400 bucks a pop for like four to six weeks or whatever it was. So that's what I would do. I would work a day job, go home to Long Island, go into the city, do my job, do a class. Like that was my life. And then maybe you do like one show a week, but it's, you're with these, these, and improv guys are even weirder than stand up guys because you have more like theater kids in there. Plus random, like I'm taking this so I can get better at public speaking at my accounting job. Like uh-huh. you have those guys. And then you just have guys with like, I don't have a, I have no hobbies. Like I'm, and then there are guys like, I'm just trying to meet girls. And so it's, it's like a weirder mix where standups, there's less types that like, sure, less of a theater type. Like you have the ones that are doing it cause they're getting into acting, but then you have like the real scrappy, like dirty not dirty but they're like <laughs> road comics they're like really doing it so I'm spending time with all these like weird improv guys my mom just judged me so hard and my my whole family was making fun of me like you're hanging out with these weirdos like you should be like looking for guys with good jobs I mean she was right but I just that's what I did and uh, yeah she'd be like I'd come back from improv, improv class at night she'd be like how was clown school just hearing that for Aww. years and like they were never taking it seriously and I don't think they would I mean, my mom passed a couple of years ago. I, I only if I had maybe made it to an SNL, I think would they have taken me seriously, or maybe if I'd gotten like a Tonight Show or a Letterman or something. But even at that point, like I don't think my family would. I don't know. I, I actually don't know what it would take, which sucks because like there's so much of your inner child still like wanting acceptance and wanting love and like wanting the things you never got growing up. So it's like you get family judgment and then you get, let's say you're, you're just starting out. It's like, well, you're going to need to work a day job of some kind. Like most comics do some other thing, you know, whether they tell you or not, it's just almost impossible unless you're at like Burke Kreischer level to, to make your whole living from stand up, Right. Mm. And, uh, I mean, unless you've got like other things going on, like a podcast and maybe there's sponsors, it's like, you have to get creative but then you get judgment from like whatever day job. Like, so for years, I think I've had maybe like 15 jobs since I graduated college and I would go to like, I would start these jobs and then, you know, 
you, when you're young and like you're first working, you're dumb and you tell people you do stand up or you do improv or you do comedy and they're like, oh, tell us a joke, which is great. And maybe you're the funny one at the office and you get some attention and you feel good. And maybe some of those coworkers come to shows, which is great, especially if there's a bringer requirement. But then I feel like ultimately it is not, it's to your detriment because then your boss or whoever you're working for is going to think, oh, this person's checked out. Like they're not really passionate about selling title insurance. You know, (laughs) like they really want to be a comic. And every time that I've ended up telling in the past, like I think over the years, every time I had told the boss that I do comedy, it's, it's come to bite me in the ass. Like they'll use it to justify not giving me a raise. They'll use it to justify firing me. It's like, you always have to deal with whatever their judgment of being in comedy like means to them. And then it's like, ugh. and then maybe you don't want your coworkers or your boss, like Googling your stuff and, and listening to 10 minutes of you talking about dicks on stage, you know, and you're like, ah. I've like, I've never known a case in which telling a job what you really do is helpful. It's, it's like, it's better to just, if anybody's listening to this and like, just don't like keep your head down, keep it secret, keep it separate, be sick to do your auditions. Like don't ever be honest about what you have to go and do, because I think then they can build a case for giving you the boot. Just, just be like, I have doctor's appointments. Like I gotta just go, say you're going to the gynecologist a lot and then they won't ask. <laughs> they won't questions. ask. They won't further pry. Yeah. I never would have thought that was so difficult, but I guess it makes sense because they just assume if you end up making it that you're going to take off and they don't want to invest into that person. Yeah. Maybe they think of it like you're an actor, almost like, like you're just already checked. It's like anybody in this job would be checked out. You can't even, but they're like, they don't understand because they like doing that. So yeah. Does it piss you off when people are like, give me a joke? Oh, all the time. But but it's like you come to expect it too. So like I have a go-to. It's usually when like I'm in an Uber, like if I'm on the road or like doing shows in the it's like if I don't want to talk, I'll say I and I've heard other comics do this too. If you don't want to talk, you just say that you're boring, like a bank teller, and then there's no follow-up questions, right? But maybe you are in a good mood and you do want to talk, and they eventually will ask for a joke. So I always have this go-to. It's a street joke. I think I even found it online years ago, but this is what I always say when someone asks for a joke. I go, okay, if mothers have Mother's Day and fathers have Father's Day, what do single guys have? And they'll be like, "Mm, I don't know. And I'm like, Palm Sunday. (laughs) And I once told that to an Uber driver, actually when I was in Florida for Thanksgiving. And he was like, oh God, oh, that's really disgusting. Like he really (laughs) reacted like, I was like, dude, I mean, he had to have been like, I'm like, what a stiff this guy is. If he thinks that I'm like, you think that joke is too dirty. Okay, here we go. But then he didn't talk to me after that, which was That's nice. good though. Yeah. I like that. There's now like that quiet button, or at least there was, I haven't taken an Uber in a really long time, but there was that I'm in a quiet mood or mm-hmm. something. So it's like, the don't- yes, there's like a don't talk to me button, like mm-hmm. quiet mode. Yeah. I was like, this is long overdue. I never understood it. Like sometimes sure. Like if you want to get in a good, my husband loves talking to Uber drivers. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is wrong with you? Like you're <laughs> a psychopath. Like leave this man alone. Let's go about our way. Like we just, we're never going to see each other again. Like, oh, I just want to like talk. I want to get to know this guy. I'm like, why? But yeah, when I'm by myself, I'm always like convinced they're going to murder me. So the more that they talk to me. I know that feeling, right? Because as a chick, you like, you have to be like, this is, it's possible. And then right. like, I will talk to people. If I do get a good vibe, like I'll pass them like my podcast, like my business card or something. And if they seem like, oh, like impressed with what I do, then I'll like give them a card or something. But like, 
yeah, if I'm feeling in a good mood, I'll talk to them. But if I'm getting like a bad vibe, then I won't. Try to go on your phone or something. Yeah, I'll just be like, oh, I'm really, really busy. So when you're writing your comedy, do you have like a a very strict regimen, like a way that you kind of come up with your bits, if you will? It depends on the gig. Like I just did uh, like a Zoom holiday party, which is, I've never done anything like a gig like this. It was a Zoom holiday party for like a tech company. This was like last week or two weeks ago. And I was like, what the fuck do they even do? So I like Googled them. And I was like, I really was looking at their website for like an hour or two. And I was like, I still have no idea what these guys do. And then I was like, oh, perfect. I'll say that during the show. Cause I was like hosting it and opening it up. So it's like, you have to deal with, I, and I like to, if I'm doing a specialized show, if it's like a fundraiser for a particular group or like a holiday party for firemen or cops or like whatever it is, I'll try to learn about, you know, like learn about whatever it is that they do. Okay. Do I have jokes about this topic? Can I write joke about jokes about this topic? And sometimes if it's like, if it is with like a holiday party crowd or an older group of like, cause I remember one time I did a Freemason fundraiser. I'm like, okay, that's going to be a lot of old dudes. They're going to not like me right away. They're just <laughs> going to, they're going to be like, okay, this chick is not going to make us laugh. So in that case, I will like, it almost feels like this is cheating, but it's not, but like, I will get some street jokes about being a Mason or being a cop just to like, in my hosting, like off the bat, just to pull them in to be like, okay, this is an easy, dumb thing. You'll laugh at. It's a jokey joke. It like, gets you in the mode for like listening to comedy. It's like easy laughs off the top and it pulls them in. Cause it's like, okay, they feel like I know them and care about them and like, their industry. So that's what I did with this tech company. I'm like, so I'm pulling some like, you know, street jokes about software, like such corny, like God, there was one that I really, really liked something about like, like why does the, Va- the Vatican use encryption software? <laughs> and then the, the punchline is so they can protect all their PDF files. And it was like written out, like it's written out like <laughs> pedophiles, like PDF files. I was like, Oh, that's actually really funny. <laughs> so like some, a little bit of street joke, but then with a the zoom, you're like, okay, you're looking at 30 squares. And it's like, how do you do scrout crowd work to a square? And uh, I also was in like the host position. So I could like pin someone's box so that it would get bigger and it's, it, but it is similar in the way you would work a regular comedy club crowd. You just like, look at them. You're like, okay, what are they wearing? What do they look like? Just your first assumption, like guy wearing a pink shirt. He's gay. It's, it's very simple. It's like not, it's not smart, but it usually gets a laugh. Like the simple observations, just cause these guys all know each other and work with each other every day. And for somebody to like bust on their buddy, it's, it's funny. It almost doesn't matter exactly what you say. It's just like paying them attention and like mm-hmm. sort of seeing them and just like anybody who is in a Zoom cube with their wife or their kids or whatever, like just trying to, you know, I mean, you have to make sure there's no like kid kids, but there was like a guy in his Zoom with like his wife and I think his older daughter. I'm like, hey, this guy's got two girlfriends. He's crushing it, you know, like <laughs> towing the line of like, okay, I, I'm being myself, but I'm not like creeping anybody out. I'm not trying to get this guy fired who hired all of us. So that some crowd work there. And then I was mixing in my regular material, but it's, it's nuts. And a lot of comics feel this way now. It's like your post lockdown, like post Rona material almost feels like kind of irrelevant. Like there's no way you could do just a straight set. And, and that's what was weird before the lockdowns and stuff. You could just get away with recycling the same set with jokes from that are years old 
I had one joke that was like seven years old, one joke that was five years old, but it worked. And now it's like, okay, you've got to like infuse the present moment. Like you can do your old jokes, but they have to be through the filter of like what's going on now or else you're going to seem like out of touch. You're going to do a set. People are going to be like, has she been like living under a rock the last nine months? And sometimes that's good. Like a mega event like this forces you to update your shit kind of in an organic way. Cause you know, maybe there are fresh feelings and fresh jokes and fresh observations that you've been making. And that will help to inform your set. But as far as like my writing process, it's like, it's never linear. It's, it's never regular. I'll get like, I mean, if I was like being a good, perfect comic, I'd have a notebook with me at all times. But what I will do is like, I'll write in the notes section of my phone and I'll write down like really half an idea or like, I'll write a punchline and then I'll build a joke behind it. Or you, you know, it's weird. Like you get, and I have like an ADD brain, which I used to take like a ton of Adderall for, but then I would like crash and feel weird. So it's like, it's weird. Sometimes chemicals or drinking or weed can help a creative person because you balance out the anxiety they think that I think inherently comes with being creative. So it's like, sometimes I'm into that stuff. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes like I'll do like a CBD, which just calms down like my body. But it's it's funny because like these special events, like the Christmas party or the fundraiser or whatever it is, that is like the real push. It's like, all right, well, this thing is next week. You got to get your set together. You have to like get your, sh- you know what I mean? This is, especially if it's paid, you're like, you, I don't want to go up looking like an idiot. And then all those people like remember your name and think that you suck. So mm-hmm that's always a good push to, to maybe write some new stuff or at least get a specialized set together. And I think big shows are motivating like that too. Like a headlining set really makes you reevaluate. Okay. First of all, like at, even at this point, like today, December, it's almost, cause I have, I'm headlining January 8th. You're like, okay, you know, it's not like how it used to be where I could just get up with like kind of no preparation and just do an hour. Well, now it's like, oh my God, I have legitimately forgotten about jokes. So it's like remembering them, recalling them back and then updating them with like today's lens or whatever. And then sometimes like, well, Twitter really helps, helps for writing too, because it's like, you're writing tweets. Like sometimes they're just observations, but I always try to like, all right, make them somehow funny. So I have to remember to occasionally go through my Twitter and see what's a joke here. What can I pull out? Yeah. Some people like, will just sit down and like, I'm going to write for an hour or two hours every day, but I was never able to get into that habit because I always had a nine to five job. So it's Mm -hmm. like, even, you know, people like, Oh, you could just write at your job. It's like, not always depending on the job. You don't really have a lot of free time. Like I was never really working in jobs where I felt like I could take a lunch hour. It was always, you know, it's like this frenetic New York city, job energy of everyone's just crushing it and hustling and nobody leaves. And that's just the office culture. So for me, I wasn't able to like write a lot at these different jobs because I was just focused on trying not to get fired. So like sometimes on the train rides, I would write, it's like, you're just, you know, and I'm not super, like, I didn't have like great study skills in school. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, the comics that are more disciplined will be like, I'm definitely, no matter what I'm writing for an hour every day. And maybe that helps more when you're first starting out. It's like, I've been doing it 10 years. I know my voice. I know the kinds of things I make cracks at. So it's almost like you don't have to homework it as much. You can sort of just like throw it together. I don't know if I'm explaining it well. No, you are. I wanted to ask, do you have to practice 
in front of like smaller groups of people live or do you not really need that? Because I feel like their execution, even in a Zoom call, it's going to be different. So like maybe, I don't know. I just feel like that would be really hard to know if something's going to hit or not. Oh yeah, it is. Cause, and you have no idea. And it's, there's no way to really practice for doing a Zoom call. Like if it's, especially if it's for like a particular company or group, you're just like, well, let's, let's see what the hell happens. Some things I said bombs and some things went really great. And just like with a regular show, you kind of, as far as crowd work goes, like you never really know what's going to hit and what's not. And it's just like, that's the thing. When you risk being funny, you also have to risk like not being funny. And what's uh, that like? Cause so I'm super introverted. I'm very shy. I'm not bad at public speaking. I'm actually pretty good with like larger crowds, but if they're more intimate is when I get nervous. But public speaking, I think, is a lot different because like everyone knows what's on the docket. You're all in there together. Like there's already this expectation and usually it goes swimmingly as long as you're prepared. But with comedy, like the patron, like I don't know what you're going to say. Like I, I'm assuming you're going to be funny. I want to show up. I want to have a good time. So like that's there and that's good. But what if like our tastes are different and then like the room is silent like then what because I would just want to curl into a ball and roll off the stage you do like my go-to thing is like it's almost like how would you charm somebody in real life if it's like first date or um not an interview but like a friend or I guess think of it as a first date every show is like a first date and you're trying to charm not just like one person but like this whole crowd of people Mm -hmm. and for me it's like my go-to is probably sexual innuendo and like getting someone to like you the quickest way to do that is to like charm them it's almost like not like you're hitting on a whole bunch of people but kind of so I find with couples it's like you, you have to know about the little dynamics that are going on like if there's a couple and I just know from years of doing it a guy and a girl, the girl is not going to be entirely focused on me because they're a little bit watching their, their guy to be like, Oh, is he checking her out? How funny does he find her? Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, she's really funny. Oh, you think she's great. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> you, you know, that that's going on. And like a few years, you know, I would dress a little bit sexier, more cleavage cause it was fun and it was me, but I'd be like, Oh, okay. If you're doing that, it's almost like, you know, you don't want to have like the women with their husbands or boyfriends in the audience, like automatically fucking hate you. You know what I mean? As soon as you get on stage, not that you have to dress like a garbage can, but like (laughs) keep that in mind. So like what I'll do is like, I'll dress nice, but I'm not dressing. Like I'm trying to like get dick on, you know, for these shows. And it's almost like I'll be self-deprecating right off the bat. Like I'll just talk about like the ways in which like I'm weird or like, or I'll, or I'll mention having a boyfriend off the bat, or I'll just mention the ways in which I'm like, in a sense, like not a great catch, you know, like, Oh, I've slept with all these guys. I have no standards. Like, like, you know, whatever. And there's a punchline. You kind of like make yourself vulnerable, take your, be self-deprecating, take yourself down a few notches so that that girl is not thinking like, Oh, okay. She's not, it's weird. Like you wouldn't, like, I'm never going to pick, even if I were single, I would never like pluck a guy out from the audience. and like, I'm going to fuck that guy. It's like, (laughs) It's more like if after the show you're all hanging out and things happen, whatever, but I'm, you're never scanning the crowd being like, who, who's next, but I get it. It's like, you know, women I've gotten jealous with like my boyfriend too. It's a normal thing. It's funny. And that's something that men don't even have to think about when they're on stage, male comics, they can just be them. It's like, if they come off sexy, great, if they come off funny, they can just 
be them because no dude is going to feel a way about a, a, a comic. Probably not because if they're making your girl laugh, they're, they're probably also making you laugh, you know, unless they're like this gorgeous man. I mean, there are a couple of like gorgeous male comics and but they also have to be like pretty damn funny. I think it's harder to be a really good looking guy comic than it is to be a really good looking girl comic just because the stereotypes people have, you know, because most people know like guy comics are fat or they're ugly or they're short and they've, they've got a funny look or something. And it's mm-hmm. almost like a, like a, like a good looking guy comic. It has to overcome that. Like they've got to be even more self-deprecating or even it's interesting. It's like, you have to like assess yourself and then level yourself out so that the crowd can like you and, and nobody's sitting there going, look at this fucking guy. He's funny. He's hot. Like why the, why should I laugh at him? You know? Oh, that's so funny. I never thought of that. I can't really think of, I mean, I don't know a ton of comics, but I I'll have to do some research. Yeah, it is interesting. So it's like part of that is knowing what people are thinking of you and, and knowing how you come off, which sometimes takes a few years. Not that you have to like tweak your image or or dress a way you don't like to dress. Like I remember one time this lady, her name was Gladys. She was, she's like a comedy icon. She had her own like room, like she, she mentors people. She, and her and I, we have like a decent relationship now, but I remember there were a few years ago, she told me, cause I was, I would wear dresses and skirts on stage all the time. She told me that I needed to wear a jacket. I don't know if she said with shoulder pads, but she was basically <laughs> explaining like Ellen in the nineties or Ellen in the eighties, what she wore like on stage to do stand up. I was like, yeah, I'm not wearing fucking pants and a jacket, but she was basically saying like, that's what you need to wear to be respected. And I just was like, ugh. and I know it was advice coming from a respectable source, but it just, it wasn't hitting. I was like, no, nah, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad I didn't listen to it because I wouldn't have felt like myself on stage. So yeah, you always, you always are taking that risk of not, not only not being funny, but just being unlikable for any of those reasons. So you have to just think like, how would you charm these people? And how do you, it's interesting. Cause like there are some comics who don't care if they're like, they're just like, fuck you. And you know, they're tough, but like, I, I do care about being liked, but I also care about like, it's, it's my job. Like everyone's good time is my job tonight. And you have to just turn it on, even if you're not, even if you wake up that day or that night, and you're just not feeling it. Or even if there's shit going on in your own life, you have to just get it up. You have to get there. And like, it's, you're a show. So people are paying money to have a good time. So it's like, so if you like totally yeah. bomb a set, like, like one of your worst nights, like how, because it's, you're sharing so much of yourself with a group of people and it's, it's got to feel similar to them just saying like they don't like you on a personal <laughs> level. Oh yeah, yeah. So how do you how do you disconnect that so that you don't feel like shit after the fact, right? So and sometimes no matter what you do, you're gonna feel like shit. If you feel like you bombed, there's nothing. Yeah. You just have to. That's the thing. You just have to get up the next day or the next time, and like you're only as good as your last set. It feels like for some comics and like. But also doing badly is a is a powerful motivator. If you crush it all the time, you're nothing's pushing you to work on anything. Nothing's mm-hmm. pushing you to listen back and be like, okay, where did I lose them in that set? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes just the 
acknowledging that a joke didn't land is enough to get the room back. No. So if I like, I'm talking, I have a, like a 10 minute bit about getting waxed down there and which usually always does great. But if, if sometimes a, a line doesn't hit or it's an older group of people and it's people who've never had anything waxed or they're not even, they haven't even looked down there in years, <laughs> you know, and I'll be like, Oh, I'll be like, yeah, okay. I guess you guys want to stop hearing about my cooch. You know, I'll just acknowledge what's going on, which is they're not feeling this topic or me right now. So who is such a good example of this? So much so that she's weaved it into her regular set is Jessica Carson. Like if something doesn't get a reaction, she'll actually turn around with her microphone and she'll be like, you shouldn't have done that joke, Jessica. You shouldn't, you were practicing it in your room and, uh, but they just don't like you. They just hate you. And you're just going to have to go home and eat a whole cake. Like she'll do that for, for minutes. And, and that's so, so many of her bits are like that, that it's, it's just so damn funny. It's like, but that's the inner monologue of a comic. Like, all right, they fucking hate you. Like, let's get them back. Like, <laughs> or you'll be like, oh, I guess you guys don't at all want to talk about politics, you know? And it's like, I don't really have a ton of political jokes, but I, I did have a pretty decent bit on like Melania Trump. And I would be, and that's how I would set up like, oh, I don't know. I'm not really into politics. I mean, I'm more into it now than when I wrote this joke, but Melania is kind of not really a super controversial figure. And I would compare her to like an indoor cat. And I would do kind of like a Russian accent for her. So that's the way to kind of get them to like you. Cause I'm like, I don't take this seriously. I don't care what side you're on, but we can all get behind the fact that Melania is like a little bit of a space cadet, you know, and just finding ways to like warm up to the group. And you're finding out like, Oh, if, if you mentioned Mel- Melania or the Trumps or any, or anybody in politics at all, and they tighten up, well, then you're like, okay, politics. No. Okay. Let's move on to maybe relationships or if they have kids or finding another topic. So it's, it's almost like you have your crowd work and then you've got like a word bank and it's all your material. And like a perfect set is like a weaving of the crowd work and what's fresh and what's brand new with like, Oh, I'm talking to this couple. They've been married for 10 years. Great. I'm going to go up and grab this joke. Oh, my longest relationship was like four inches. And then you throw that in. So it's like, that's to me, like a perfect set feels like a, a like a brilliantly orchestrated ballet uh, dance of finding what's fresh and then taking what's old and throwing it in, in a way, like just, you're weaving this thing that feels very personal to this crowd. And in it, and it is because you're not going to say that same crowd work for even the next night or even for the late show, you're not going to have the same exact set, even though you will have similar bits, like in your word bank that you'll And some things might hit on the first show that don't hit in the late show or vice versa. And then the, then there's certain jokes that work better with a late crowd because they're younger and they'd stay up late. And maybe they're, they are into more like the sex stuff or talking about drugs or whatever. And then, but you, these are things you learn over time, over the years, like, okay, the earlier crowd, they're older. They probably don't want to hear about (laughs) your coach, you know, but maybe they do. It is like ultimately being okay with, with bombing and no matter what happens, like, okay, like listen back to your, listen back to your set, figure out what went wrong. But any show that I go into feeling prepared for, it's almost not that I don't care what happens, but it's like, okay, as long as I prepared and did as much as I could before, like listening back to sets or writing things out, or like you have a big headlining gig. Okay. Trying to take a few smaller gigs leading up to it. So you can practice that five minutes, that 10 minutes, that 15 minutes, and then you build on that. So you're like, okay, if, I mean, when things were normal and you could get up in New York city several times a night, 
you could easily work out your hour in 10, 15 minute chunks and then you just put it all together and then you take on stage with you like one little card and each word is a, is a different rant. And then there you go. And that's how you prepare. Are there like untouchable jokes? Cause I feel like comics have always straddled that line of what's okay to joke about and what's not okay. And I feel like that line just keeps moving, but a lot of the more popular ones are the ones that are like too big to cancel kind of say like, fuck mm. that. I'm going to laugh about like Ricky Gervais is great. Like he is constantly so telling everyone to fuck off. Which is <laughs> yeah. Awesome. He's great. And I love that question because it depends on the comic and it depends on the subject matter. And it also depends on how famous they are. Cause sometimes the more famous somebody gets, like they may, like a lot of people use Amy Schumer as an example. And, uh, a lot of that's what because I've heard that a lot. People are like, oh, don't end up like Amy Schumer. Don't. And I'm like, what does that oh, what mean? happened to her? Like, so she and I and I talked to a lot of comics about this. I guess she started out her comedy was one way and she would make fun of, you know, herself and the topics she used almost like, oh, she was cool and self-deprecating and like somebody you'd hang out with. And then the more famous she got, she got more political. She got more woke. She got more, in, I don't know, whatever, anti-gun or more like very, very like left wing. Uh-huh. A lot, a lot of, you'll hear a lot of complaints like, oh, well then she became unfunny. That's what I've heard people say about her. And whether that was just her organic growth. Like if it was great and nobody should judge that, but if she did change herself a certain way to be more appealing for a certain audience or like she thought doing that would get her more fans, or maybe that looks better in terms of Hollywood and getting cast for more like movies and stuff. It's like, I understand people's feelings on that because they feel like, well, they knew and fell in love with one person and now you're different. And they feel almost like I don't know. It's like an icky feeling, which I understand. I feel like that's what happened to Chelsea Handler. So I Mm. used to be like a really big fan of hers when I was in high school. And then she just had a, what do you call them? Like when you get on each special, special, yes. She just had a special come out and I saw like clips of it. And some of the stuff I was like, oh my God, I don't want to hear like your woke BS, right? Like I'm here to laugh. Maybe that's me being sensitive because the jokes were obviously like, against no that were moderate or conservative or whatever but I'm like it's just it's bullshit like there's enough of that right and I just don't think it's funny and that's the thing is like you can that's how what you're saying is how so many people feel and if you're if you're noticing that somebody is too political and I would say no topic no topic is off limits like there's a way to make every topic funny it just depends on if you can pull it off or not so like, I, I mean, I know this girl, Christina Hutchinson, and she's like, I have, I have this rape joke that da, da, da. And, and the rape joke is about how much she spent on college. And that's my rape joke. And it's like, so there's no topic that's, that's really off limits. But if, if, if someone's takeaway, like, oh, that comic was too political. It doesn't mean you can't be political, but if you're more political than you are funny, it's going to be a net political set or that that's going to be the crowd's takeaway. But it's like, you have to be, you have to get just as many punchlines as you are points. It's like, not that you can't say anything important or talk about what you believe in, but it's like, it's got it. You have to keep it kind of equal. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That's why a lot of people will complain about like, female comics because maybe they talk more about sex than they make punchlines so the t- the key takeaway is oh this chick is too sexual Blech, that's how all female comics are that's then which is crazy because a lot them. of male yeah. comics are wildly sexual but i guess just because 
it's a double st- it is a double standard it is like a little bit of that old school traditional like there are some men that just don't like seeing women that way because yeah just some ingrained stuff which is which is like fine so you, you got to do the jokes that you like that mm-hmm. ring true for you and like yeah I mean if you do something and it bombs every time like yeah maybe move on maybe factor it out yeah that's a thing to deal with too is like people feel like oh they, they get to know you or you you blow up with one persona and then you mm-hmm. change over time oh you like go hollywood or you're like just mm-hmm. trying to appease certain people at the top instead of like forgetting about your fans and being mm-hmm. like no you're no longer like accessible people don't like that which i understand so do people t- so you do get a little bit political especially on like your twitter do people advise against that or they're like would you stop that? Yeah, it's interesting because, like, cool. at this point, I'm not going to take the advice from anybody unless I admire them. So mm-hmm. that, like, when you keep that in mind, or or like somebody who's doing better than me, like I'll listen to that person, or some, or if somebody has a career that I'm envious of, or like a work ethic, or they're doing great. Like, mm-hmm. there's a difference between like if Joe Rogan gives me advice versus like this comic who booked me on a show once who has two thousand followers. It's like okay, let like I'm going to probably listen to the guy who's crushing it. And so it, it, it depends who, and the people close to you, I also feel like can give me advice. Like, like my boyfriend knows my comedic voice and my brand. So it's like, I'll trust his advice. If he feels like I say or do something that's a little like not so great or whatever. But usually I just like, when you get to be at least 10 years in, it's kind of like, oh, like it's almost like you're kind of on your own. Like you're, you're, nobody can kind of tell you what to do. If you're, if you're like gaining fans, gaining followers, you're productive. If you're moving up, it's like, then you kind of don't really have to listen to anybody else. And I kind of feel like that's the direction I've been moving in this year, which is amazing. Like despite all the lockdowns and the bullshit, like my podcast has taken off and like, I've, I've done as much standup as I could. And I feel like, Oh wow, things are clearly growing. Um, not that I, I'm in this place of like, I don't have to listen to anybody because I I'm still very open to criticism no matter what's going on. And I'm also somebody who like will self-deprecate and be like, I'm not shit. I'm not doing well. Like I stuck, you know, I definitely have figured out like who is worth my time and who's not. And sometimes if I do tackle a subject that's like triggering, like, I mean, I was joking about Chrissy Teigen's miscarriage. She had a very public miscarriage. I think it was this summer. Oh, dear. And I was making jokes about it. I was like, oh, my mom had two miscarriages, but she did it the old fashioned way, like without a, without a photo shoot. And I just made a couple of jokes about that. And I ended up like, I thought this girl was my friend. Apparently not. I ended up like kind of losing a friend over it. She was like very triggered. I mean, I, I assume it's because she had some kind of a miscarriage. I, I don't know what else would explain it. And she just got so mad at me. How dare you? And I was like, these are jokes. I'm like, I didn't make these jokes at you personally, but like people get triggered by what they're triggered by. And she kind of was just like done. And I was like, oh, that's, that sucks that over a joke, you know, like over a couple of tweets, you know, but then, you know, okay, this person was not really a friend if that's all it took. And uh, cause it's not like I'm saying them to her. They're just like jokes into the air. But then I kind of realized like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to take it down because then what does that mean? Anybody who has a problem with a tweet or a joke, like they just get to take away chunks of you until what's left, you know? Mm -hmm. You do have to kind of like remember yourself. Like I had this girl comic who 
in the beginning of March, I put out this parody video called, it was like called Kung Flu Fighting or something. And it was a parody reaction to Gal Gadot's Imagine video. She had like, oh, I don't know if you remember back in, it was like, imagine there's yeah, kind of no, it was like every celebrity did a line and it was like so lame. <laughs> and it was like so much virtue signaling is like clearly not authentic. So I was like, okay, let me get me and some of my comedian friends together and we'll just sing a line of Kung Fu fighting. And I said, you could say, you could say Kung Flu or not. It doesn't matter. Cause it was like a trending hashtag at the time. And so it was like, everybody was Kung Flu fighting. And we were like serious and we each sang a line and it was funny. And uh, I got a ton of shit for it. Cause people were like, you're racist against Asians. You know, there are idiot people who thought that I wrote the lyrics to this song kung fu fighting i'm like no that song's been around since the 70s oh boy you gotta explain that to people and then uh everybody who did it was like you know funny great had a good time fast forward to december this month i had a girl who had like a teeny tiny part in that video suddenly hit me up like you have to take that video down i have this radio job now i don't want them finding out about this or or maybe they did find out she has she's all of a sudden had a huge problem with the fact that she was in this video of mine and this was a person who like begged to be in it like she had missed my deadline because i was editing it together she missed that and she was like can i please i was like sure just send yourself in doing like Oh, 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 you know, like the end of the Kung Fu fighting song. I was like, sure, send, send that into me. We'll, we'll make it work. We'll, we'll stick you in. And she's like, oh my God, thank you. And she, you know, I had explained to everybody exactly what it was. Here's the parody. Here's what we're trying to do. So everybody knew what they were getting into, but we fast forward this girl. Now she's got a radio job. It's December. Oh, I didn't know what I was getting into. It's like, you, it's like, you're oh. full of shit. I pull up the text. I'm like, she knew exactly what she was getting into. Not only did she miss the deadline, but she like enthusiastically like went out of her way to make sure she could still be in it. And then I, you know, for a second, you're like, oh no. And then she's like, she threatened to sue me to have this thing taken down. And I was like, what the fuck? And it, and it was like, you know, it had been taken down from Instagram because somebody called it hate speech and it took a couple months for that. But who gives a shit? And it's like, I think it was still on Twitter and YouTube. And, but this is also back in March. Nobody is Googling this chick and this video. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like, this is old news, you know? And I was like, I was like, I'm not taking it down, man. And it's Good like, for you. at first it's like, it sucks. It hurts your feelings. Cause you're like, oh, am I, but you're like, you know what? If you just bend over to every single person and that's the thing, it's not just regular people. It's not just random haters and trolls that are in this cancel culture. It's other comics that like really do try to cancel the things that you do. And all of a sudden this project that she was very excited to be involved with. Oh, now I'm, she's going to sue me if I don't take it down. It's like, for what? It's like, she was literally scared over nothing. I'm like, if you lose your radio job over a random sketch you did in March, like, why are you in comedy? If any little thing you do could get you. And that's the thing. It's like, that's an example of, okay, if you're in a job that you're going to get in trouble for doing comedy for, maybe don't tell them that you do comedy. But for me personally, it's like, well, I can't be just bending over backwards for every single person who wants to take something down. It's like there was 15, 17 people in that video, but one person yeah, nine months later, you know what I mean? Like wants it. To, well, what about all of them that were in it that liked it, that wanted up? So, and that's like a getting older thing too. It's like, you're not going to make everybody happy. You have to make yourself happy first. And and like my lesson there, because I was always such a people pleaser, it's like, yeah, you can't people please to the detriment of yourself. It's like, I'm trying to build a portfolio of work. I'm trying to like 
get sketches up and do things. And it's like, you can't take it down every time one person is scared and has a problem. Right. And that's kind of the whole point of comedy, right? Is you're making fun of people and things. So if you just keep picking away at what's acceptable, you're going to be left with absolutely nothing. You're going to be left with knock-knock jokes, right? Yeah. That's it. It's crazy. And it was, it was disappointing because this was a girl that I would have worked with again in the future. Somebody like if I get a bigger writing job or a bigger opportunity, she's somebody I would have considered for something. But then when that happens, when someone's trying to like sue you over not like not taking down a video, it's like, oh, that sucks. Now our relationship is kind of ruined, but it's better, you know, like what category to put somebody in and just that's the thing with getting older, the the longer you're in a career, it's like you have your tight knit group of people that you trust and like to work with. Mm-hmm. So you said that you weren't into politics and like before, and it's something that you slowly got into, I guess, what triggered your curiosity? Was it since like situations like this, where people are trying to police like what you're able to say on stage or in skits? Yeah, it was for sure. Free speech. Ever since I got with compound media, I, I realized like, Oh wow. Like you can, you know, I would just see people whether they were in comedy or not, like get canceled over something they said or a joke. And it's like, man, like that's what comedy is. We deal in stereotypes. Like stereotypes are real. Like Mm -hmm. they don't come out of nowhere. That's why people laugh. Right. When you, when you like, even you're like, oh, like this is a bad driver. They must be Asian. I mean, like people don't laugh at that out of nothing. It's like their stereotypes are based in reality. Just, and that's, what's kind of the great equalizer. And then you have something like, oh, well, you can't make fun of trans people. Now they're the new protected group. And it's like, fuck that. Like that's, <laughs> everybody is equal. Isn't that what, aren't we supposed to be for equality, which means right. we can roast everybody and make fun of everybody. So that's what really like lit a fire inside me. Cause it's like, oh, this is like, of course it's a right. It's like a constitutional right, but it's also like a comedy, right? free speech. So I was like, oh man, like that can't be like this art form is going to suffer. I mean, it had, has suffered a little bit. People have said like, well, stand up is a dying art, whatever. Everything changes. Maybe we're transitioning more to like, you know, online and podcasts and sketch and stuff. And you look at somebody like Ryan Long and he's such a great example of somebody who like, since the lockdowns just blew up because he's amazing. He, he found his comedic voice. He he's like regular with his content. He does good work he's crushing it. So, but I'm sure there's people who've tried to cancel him as well, but yeah, it was the free speech thing that kind of woke me up and just an overall, like following the money, like taking a closer look at government, like watching our rights being taken away steadily over the last eight, nine months, just kind of like following the money on corporations, noticing like, oh, what news outlets are not talking about certain stories? Oh, because who they're connected to. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Like the Epstein was a big example of that. Like all his ties, you know, but certain, you know, news channels were not, we're just not talking about it for years until Mm -hmm. it was unavoidable. And then just with all the election censorship and the insane amount of censorship with Twitter and Facebook, you know, learning, you know, Project Veritas did a few, and I had them on my uh, regular podcast, just learning about the the explicit judgment. And uh, like these content moderators on Facebook would be like straight up deleting, straight up hiding posts from conservatives or anybody who was pro-Trump. And they would be happy about it. They would be boasting about it, you know, on like the hidden camera or whatever. So it's like, oh man, that that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. It seems like all the censorship is coming from one side against the other and it's not equal. And Mm -hmm. it's like, even if you don't agree with the person, like we should all be able to like 
say our piece and have a debate about it instead of having like facts hidden from us. So that was a big motivator too. And just like learning more like how things work and like what the powers that be like really want to happen. And, and now I'm just more kind of like uh, really worried about the country and like hoping that we can uh, like get it together and uh, you know, not become like China part two. And I think that's what I've started to do now is like with some of these protests that I've gone to, like rallies that I've gone to in DC is like merging of comedy, but also like I am caring more about the stuff. So I will do live streams. I will do interviews. I'll do man on street. I'll get to know people who really are at these rallies and protests, especially when they're not covered at all by the mainstream media. Like they said that there was like just a few hundred people at the million MAGA March. It's like, no, there wasn't. There was 1.5 million people there. It's just that like the, the, the MSM news crews, they came like, like at six in the morning did their like shots and there was just a few people there and they go, well, nobody came. And it's like, that's for a reason. So I like being there to show people what's really going on. But also it's like, I will kind of talk to the crazy weird personalities around because that way it's like, okay, then there's a comedy element there too. Like I met this guy, his name is Prometheus and he's super charged up about foreskins. Like he's really passionate (laughs) about everybody keeping their foreskin. And he's like a (laughs) wild man. He just like, I swear to God, he just, he looks like he emerges from, he emerged from the bushes. You know, he's got these marker, like drawn out signs that he wears. He wears like a sandwich board. He's got two signs on each side. He's like, you look at him go, oh, that's fucking, he's a crazy man. That's somebody, if you saw in New York city, you'd be like, I'm not going to talk to that guy. But, but for me, I'm like, I'm going to go talk to that guy. <laughs> he's got a lot of good points. And sometimes just listening to somebody talk is, is funny. Cause you're like, what, how, you know, how often are you going to meet somebody like this? And that's, what's kind of great about protests and rallies is that, is that these interesting personalities like really do come out of the woodwork. And it's kind of like, there's comedic value in just talking to kooky people, which I enjoy. Yeah. Cause you have to be really energized and passionate to be going to one of those things on either end, right? Like you're yeah. not just like, I don't really care. This doesn't really affect my life or like you feel mm-hmm. a certain type of way of that. So I'm sure you get a ton of good content. Yeah, it is fun. It's it feels like an adventure. There's like, ah, let's try not to get stabbed. Um, <laughs> I, I would be so. I'm too scared for that. I wouldn't be there. You do. I think maybe just walking around New York City for ten years has helped <laughs> too. You just kind of like have a permanent like head on a swivel. You can feel when people are kind of unsafe or sketchy. I think I have like good people skills in that way. But sure. Yeah. You never know what can happen. I I'll have like a pepper spray on me or something. I should probably take karate or Krav Maga too. Probably. probably, Yeah. Especially with your like political tweets nowadays. You never know. Oh my God. Yeah. I agree with her. Oh yeah. There'll be like an enraged Chrissy Teigen fan that'll just jump out of the bushes one day and like hit me with a high heel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's another example of someone I used to love. And now I'm like, I just can't do it. I had Ooh. to follow. She's such a phony. She's I, such a fake. Ugh. I, know. I know. It's like embarrassing now, but I'm like, what about that? Me and my sister, we would be all about getting, getting a Cosmo, pouring over it. We would be like, we would do all the magazines, watch, watch Kardashians, like watch. I mean, the Kardashians are like, they're okay. They're okay. They're their business people. It's like, you know, they're growing up They're they, that's a hustle. That's a lifetime hustle that they're doing, which I respect, but like, just, I don't understand getting into like real housewives or just like mindless, mindless, like celebrity life, 
you know, absorption. I, I think most people are kind of like waking up to that too. It's like the regular people like you and I, there's not as much idolizing of celebrities anymore. Cause it's like, Oh, shit's getting real. Like you guys haven't missed a paycheck. You're doing good still. Like we're having like struggle meals, you know, like this is like my third day of ramen. So it's, it's kind of like that you pop the bubble on celebrity and, and it was already moving in that direction because people were already checking out of award shows. People weren't really watching mm-hmm. they were caring less and less about celebrities. But I think this final lockdown, especially with those couple of, you know, celebrity compilation videos that they did that totally didn't hit with anybody. I think that was like yeah. the nail in the coffin of like, why do, why are we looking up to these fucking people? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Like there was that recent SNL skit. What's his name? Pete Davidson. Yeah. And he's like making fun of people that have an issue with the lockdowns. I'm like, you just got paid a fuck ton of money for that episode. Like more Thousands, than ever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, people cannot buy food right yeah. now. Right? And that's the thing about uh celebrity being like rich and or famous. It affords you the luxury of being irrelevant. It's like, you don't even know how irrelevant you are. You also don't care. Cause you're like, I'm up here, I'm doing good. Which like, then you are putting a distance. It's like, maybe you're, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice as, as a disservice, as an entertainer, because as an entertainer, you're connecting with the people. You want to make the people laugh. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm with you. We have the same struggles. Our lives are similar, but when you become a celebrity or you're Pete Davidson or like, well, you're now at, you're doing so well, you're out of touch. So it's like, you're like in a little hot air balloon floating away, you know? And then that gives a chance for somebody scrappier and more like with the people to come up, which is good. Oh, that's a good perspective. Yeah. I guess, so are you optimistic that lockdowns are going to start like loosening up or do you still see like a lot of comedy stores being closed? Like where do you see the future of comedy given the current circumstances? It's tricky. I think after meeting Ian Smith, who is a co-owner of the Belmar, I'm actually wearing his shirt right now. Um, He owns this gym in Belmar, New Jersey. It's called the Atelis gym. He stayed open. He's somebody I interviewed on my channel like a couple weeks ago. And uh, he stayed open since May and he's like, he's just like, fuck the lockdowns, fuck the mandates. I'm staying open. Like he does these, all the cleaning protocols, they take temperatures and stuff, but it's like, he's keeping his gym open. And he's at like 80 something thousand visitors, no cases, you know, coming back to the gym at all. And I went there to interview him and I walked into this gym, Candice, I was like, (gasps) Oh my God, this place was amazing. The energy was incredible. They're all these like good looking men and women like working out. They look great. They feel great. It just felt good to be in there. I was like, damn, I got to start working out again. This feels great. (laughs) And everyone was happy and doing their thing. And I was like, yes, this is like, this is like the normal world again. And he's like, yeah, he's like, and the governors, they have tried so much to like, they've locked his door. They've welded it shut. They've I mean, they had to like sleep there for 30 days once. I mean, they've been through a lot. They, they've been arrested. They've had their business license taken away. They, they get fined like 15 grand a day for staying open. They're just not paying it. They're like, fuck it. Like we're, we put too much into opening this business. They opened it eight months before the lockdown. They're like, we put our whole life savings into this. We're not just going to like be bitches and go down and, and shut down because you say so. And, and their membership has tripled and they're doing great. They can't charge membership, but they charge like for merch and everyone in there is wearing the merch from the gym. And, and that's kind of how they, st- and I was like, this guy really inspired me. And, and he was basically like, 
Yeah. Like other small businesses really have to do what he's doing and just be like, fuck it. And, and we all have to stand up together because I think like the more the government is comfortable taking away rights and have, and taking on controlling us more, it's like, they're not going to just give that up because it feels good to them. It gives them purpose and power and it keeps them in business. Right. So it's like, I think it's up to us, the people to like really stand up, open our businesses, like just not give a fuck kind of same thing with masks, you know, like we all have to just decide we're not doing it anymore. And it's like, yeah, they can arrest one person, but can they arrest a whole train full of people or can they arrest every single small business owner? So I think like he was a really inspiring guy to talk to. And I, I think that's what it's going to have to like come down to because if after eight or nine months you haven't realized that no amount of like obeying or being on good behavior is going to get us back to normal like that's not what's happening it's like it's it's like we're all kind of being called to like stand up and like fight for our rights again like 1776 style and it's crazy because none of us have had to do that in our lifetimes but i can't imagine going back to normal, like any other way, like, Oh, we're just done now. You know, like everybody thought after the election was over, things would go back to normal and they haven't. And I think that's what's made the last remaining few people be like, okay, what the, what the fuck is going on? You know? I thought so too. And then it's funny. Cause like the conversation keeps shifting. Like first it was two weeks to slow the spread. Then mm-hmm. it was, well, until there is a vaccine. And now I think the New York times did a piece that was saying, well, hold on, just because there's a vaccine and just because you take it doesn't mean you won't catch it, doesn't mean you won't be asymptomatic and doesn't mean you won't spread it. So we're not normal yet. So like, yeah. is it going to so What was the fucking point? Yeah, you still, you can get the vax, but you still have to wear a mask. You still have to social distance. You still have to do all the bullshit. So it's like, what was the point? Yeah. What is the point? And then you have people like Andrew Yang suggesting a barcode for people that get the vaccine. The oh, vaccine. that is like some Bill Gates- transhumanist shit right there like oh yeah yeah. what happens right like to the people who say i'm not right i'm not an anti-vaxxer and i feel like you can't even have this conversation because everyone's like oh my god she doesn't believe in science or what people get really on edge when you talk about vaccines i'm vaccinated my son is vaccinated i'm not anti-vaccine like get this is a this is a different case this is a whole separate thing it's brand new it was kind of rushed and everything that I've ever put in my body, like has been around for a very long time, right? Like MMR shots, all of that good stuff. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with people that are like, let me just wait. I'm not in the dangerous group. If I get COVID, I will be fine. You'll pass it in one to two weeks. And in fact, the time that people are passing this virus is much shorter. When we first started out, it was three to four weeks. Now people are passing it in one to two weeks, which means it's getting weaker. I know people that have had it and they were fine in three days. Yeah. Three days, right? Like a yeah. lot of people. So like we own a couple of restaurants and one of our restaurants, almost everyone had it at one point. So we had to close for like a week or two weeks, something like that. But everyone that had it, like they were like, it felt like a mild flu and they were good because they're all like young, healthy people. Yeah. So if you were in that category, it should be your right to say, I would rather not do the vaccine for something that's not going to affect me. But if the vaccine truly is 90%, whatever effective, then you go get the vaccine and if I get sick, I can't give it to you because you're vaccinated. So right. I just don't understand why this is causing even more tension between people when you didn't think that was even possible in these times. So I don't know where we're going to go. It's really scary. It's really confusing. I'm optimistic and I hope that the American people have a little bit of fight in them. They do kind of, you know, replicate like this man, like you said, his name's Ian. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. And stand up for their businesses um, and their livelihoods and just their rights. But part of me thinks like that was such a distant memory, like our forefathers that we're just going to kind of be okay with whatever we're told to do. And then we're going to lose everything that we are. Yeah. It is very scary because they are trying to rewrite history. I don't know. I, the longer I talk, the more I sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist, but it's like if eight to nine months of this shit is not enough to wake people up and realize like, Oh, it's that what they're telling us is not actually what's going on. Right. And you can look at places like, you know, like LA that have never truly reopened. And most people there are very liberal. So they're wearing their masks as soon as they step on their lawn. Right. Like it, like they're following. Oh yeah. It's insane alone in their cars when they're outside. It's, it's actually, and they don't have it under control. Right. This isn't working. We have to do something else. And it's not to say like, let's do a free for all and kill all the old people. Like that's not what I'm saying. Like there's gotta be a happy medium and it doesn't seem like anyone that's in charge wants that or is entertaining that or is trying to educate themselves on that. So it's how do we kind of force that hand as the people? Yeah, I think it is by, I mean, there's a big, um, I'm not sure when this is coming out, but I know there's a big like rally or protest on January 6th, which I think is on a Wednesday. That's a big way that people can show up. And I think, you know, I think just if you're not in a place where you're feeling like brave enough to open or reopen your business, it's like talking to people like Ian Smith at the Belmar gym. If you look on his website, I think he maybe is getting together like resources, like other small business owners that are open or other small business owners that aren't requiring masks. So like there are networks out there that I think you can find. And I think just talking to like-minded people, whether it's like following them on Twitter or parlor or different social media is like, just like sort of like building your crew. Not that you have to isolate from like other points of view, but find people, people with the same values. So you don't feel so alone. Mm -hmm. And so you don't feel like, Oh, well, I'm the only one doing this. What, what difference is it going to make? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it does feel that way. Right. Especially when you're surrounded by so many people that just want to follow the rules and not rock the boat. And they're like, mm-hmm. you just wait, like you're crazy, your conspiracy, whatever it is. And it's like, why we're putting the, these really broad labels on everything just because I have a reasonable question about what's happening right in an unprecedented yeah. time. Like I should be able to ask questions. Be like, well, wait a second. Like, we oh yeah. Two restaurants that employ like 60 people, right? Like they have livelihoods. What are they going to do? Yeah. Are we just, like the, if the only people that are not okay with the lockdowns are people who are super rich, who have tons of savings, who are like not feeling it at all. It's like the rest of us, like, how could you not be fired up about this, this mm-hmm. time, like this topic. And it's like, and then there are going to be some people that are like, just going to be okay with everything until they're being taken on to a, you know, a train, a train somewhere. <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it's like, that's how it happens. I, you could, that's, that's how, how it happens. It's a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we wrap up, do you want to tell the listeners how they can support you, where they can follow you and any upcoming projects you're working on? Oh yeah. I'm going to be headlining at the, in Tannersville, New York at the Hilltop Bar and Grill on January 8th. And I have my friend Amanda Gale opening for me. Check out the Wet Spot on Compound Media Mondays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And then also the Chrissy Mayer podcast, which is on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, Tuesday through Friday. I have new episodes coming out, like just about, yeah, four new ones a week. Yeah, a lot of big guests on there. You follow me on all social media at Chrissy Mayer, Parlor, Twitter, Facebook, even though it's dying. 
<laughs> and yeah, I have a Patreon too, where I'll put like advance, like I'll put, you know, if I have a podcast and it's like, I'm not releasing it till next week or a couple of weeks, I'll put it out right away on my Patreon. So you'll get your, like all the new stuff there. Yeah. I think that's it. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for giving me your time. This was super fun. Super fun. Thanks, Candace. All right. Good seeing you. You too. I'll talk to you soon. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have the time, please rate and review, and you can always hit subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. I hope to have you back.